0: Welcome, dear listeners, to a special interview with Thomas Herrenstam. Welcome. Thank you. M- you are credited as lead game designer in the game, or?
1: Yeah, I guess that's that's what it says in the book. It, so that's that's uh, that is true. Uh, of course, there were uh, a lot of people involved, but I was sort of keeping everything together. My role was mainly the rules, uh, but also the concept as a whole and keeping the project together. Of course, Eric Grantham has done a lot of the setting work uh, and other people have done have written for it as well but i was kind of keeping it together
0: yeah someone needs to be the spider in the web yes yeah so what what is what was it what was the spark that started what later became
1: forbidden lands what really kicked it off and when things started to come together for us was actually when we made an art book uh with Niels gulligson who is the illustrator of those classical games in the 80s um uh so um, we did an art book with his old art together with Orvar Selvström, who's a uh, a guy who who was you know big gamer, TV former TV show host, and he published a book on Avventurspelum, which is that old company. And then we did a book with him about uh, Nils Gullikson and his work. So actually, that's when the idea started. That uh, I don't remember exactly who who brought it up first. It wasn't I know it wasn't me, but it was someone in the family. <laughs> really, could not we do a game with his old art? At first, like, that, that's a weird idea. We can't do that. It's just that would be total, That would just be strange. But then we started thinking about it, then, and we ended up adding it as a stretch goal in the Kickstarter for that art book. So that oh, actually, awesome. it's a, a stretch goal there. Not so, if you reach that goal, you would start working on a new game. Yes, really? and and the backer of that game would get this role-playing game. In PDF format, so actually every background oh. of that art book got Forbidden Lands in PDF format. Of course, okay. Forbidden Lands ended up being a much much bigger project than the art book, but you know that's, that can happen. So that's sort of when it started, and then we started thinking about what this game should be, and then we the and what what else we wanted to do that had been part of the discussion actually before we just we'd made this decision about the art, just that we wanted it's a kind of a Wild West fantasy like a, a game like that kind of feel to it, and we. Thought that Mutant Year Zero quite well when this sort of sandbox game exploring the zone, and that's something we wanted to bring to a fantasy setting. The other games we did, we have made with the same rules engine, sort of as uh, Coriolis and Tales from the Loop, but they are more different in the way they play. They're not so sandboxy in the same way. They're mm. not so open, uh, and and they don't have the same focus on survival as as Mutant Year Zero does, and also bit of land stuff so it's really we wanted to bring that in there so we had that old art so we wanted to go with a retro style uh that it's not an old school renaissance game it's not an Ozar game per se because it's not a dnd clone it's completely different rule set but the sort of aesthetics are from our are like old school so we wanted to bring that in there we want to have that sandbox play from year zero that also sort of reflects how we used to play when we were you know you know back in the day when, when we sort of didn't have these big planned out stories but mostly played and just went wherever we wanted and yeah. did some adventuring and it was quite freeform yeah. but we wanted to create a give that, create a framework for that but also have some kind of story and metaplot that you could bring in so that's how we sort of created the game to have the freeform, the, the open world uh, exploration, but still being able to get story in there and that's how we work with these modular adventure sites and the legend handouts and things to sort of bring in a story, even though without you know without determining what the players have to do or do and where they should go.
0: So moving on, uh, maybe something about we've touched on this a little bit, but what inspirations do you have for the game apart from the old? Drakkar and the in the old Swedish game. Yeah,
1: of course, that's a main a big thing, of course. Uh, and, uh, like, yeah, like I mentioned, Mutant Year Zero, of course. But then, like I mentioned, we also... Uh, it, it's um, like Wild West movies. It's like that kind of thing. Uh, it's definitely an inspiration. I think we went... When we were trying to find a name for the game, we went through, like, lists and lists of, like, Wild West movies. So oh. so had, it had <laughs> some titles that were, like... The, They would have worked well. Yeah, they would have worked well. Yeah, the dead and the brave and you know stuff like that, things like that. So yeah, so we there was a lot of you know wild west stuff in there. Of course, then there is inspiration from all kinds. Uh, I mean, old. uh, I mean, Eric Grantstrom, who wrote a lot of the uh, uh, adventure sites, especially in the campaign book, the Ravens Perch, but also I wrote the setting. Of course, he brings in his you know uh, perspective and inspiration from from his books and also from other. Fantasy uh, uh, literature and, and so on so it, it's it's really a, a, you know a lot of different a lot of different sources of inspiration for this game all right um, have you had time to play the game yourself I other than like
0: a few game testing which uh, I I
1: mainly I, I played it uh, during during testing I haven't played it very recently I mean of course I played it during development. And we still don't have... Now I'm looking forward to actually have the... I do have physical books, but the boxes have not arrived yet. Maybe they have by the time this airs. I don't know. Because they, I heard today that they are at the... They have arrived to the warehouse in, in the UK. So the boxes are there. And now we're just waiting for them to repack them and send them to trackers. So as soon as I get the you know, the actual box in my hand, then, then I'd like to play that. Uh, because it's such a difference between playing... I, I tend to play... A lot of When I play our own games, it's usually in the form of printed, black and white, just papers yeah. without art yeah. or anything, which is fine, but it's it's not the same as having a full game with, the, you know, the printed books and the art and, and the layout course, and everything. So I kind of miss that, actually playing games that are finished. Uh, so I do play other games, of course, not only ours, but but it's also nice to play our games when they're done. Of course, then you run the risk of actually, you know, seeing that, oh, that's, you know, you find like a yeah. or some mistake <laughs> or something. Oh, no, I didn't. so that can happen but you know it's a risk but you're
0: very uh, you in free league are very good nowadays or maybe you were back in the days as well I don't know but uh, in asking backers for to look for titles yeah sure I mean we we, of
1: course uh, we've done that a lot more and more I guess in the last at least two or three games we have uh, let backers check and look at the PDFs we do like an early access, like an alpha, and then maybe even a beta like Forbidden lands we had like a two preliminary PDFs of the game, uh, that that everyone could have a look at and of course, you know, catch hopefully like typos and errors and also balancing stuff and so that mm. has really helped. Of course, we're not that doesn't mean we don't do our own proofreading as well. well of, uh, course so, of course, I mean, well, of course we don't like we leave it all to backers to do the work for for us, but but it certainly helps because no matter how good proofreader you have that some things will slip through, Absolutely. and uh, having backers look okay. at it for a couple of months is super useful.
0: And I mean, I don't think you have to explain to any RPG player the feeling of having a new rule book in your hand, opening yeah. it for the first time and just flipping through the pages, feeling the smell of the book and yeah at sure. the illustrations yeah. And yeah seeing the the finished product. yeah House rules yes. are they uh, what are your views on house rules? Are you like, well, it's your game, you you play whatever way you like it, or is it like you hear about someone making a house rule? Just that, like, oh, why do, you, why do you do
1: that with my game? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I've I done so many house rules myself for games th- throughout the years. That's really how, you know, I think a lot of GMs do that, and, and I'm, I was definitely doing that as well. And that's how I, it sort of just transformed into writing my own games just starting out doing a lot of house rules and then when the house rules became like the you know uh the the document became as you know extensive as the rules themselves then it just was a, you know, very easy to just transition into actually just running your own so i think i have a great understanding for for wanting to do house rules and 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 uh, so i'm totally fine with that because even though you might think uh you know you have done rules. that You have sort of designed them the way you want them. You think they work well. Of course, every group is different, and some groups might have different preferences and want to have a slightly different feel to their game. And and that's that's one of the cool things with with tabletop RPGs is that they are so adaptable at the table. You can really change them around and play them the way you want to, to adapt them to your group and your personal tastes. Uh, so I think you should definitely do that. I mean, of course. It can be sometimes when you you see someone writing, you know, a house rule, and you feel like, okay, but this guy or girl didn't uh, just didn't quite understand the rule at all, and just wrote, "I'll just do a house rule." like then you might, you know, be tempted to say, "Well, you know, but did you actually?" Or even (laughs) sometimes I can feel, well, maybe you should just try it once before, just play it as it is written, and then you can house rule it. Don't house rule it before you even tried it. I think that, and I think that can be. Of course, people do whatever they want. But if, if I would give some kind of recommendation, it would be to try it out first, then house rule it if it, if you feel. But don't house rule it before you even try it, because sometimes mm. a rule on paper can look strange or yeah. weird and and not what you're expecting. And then you might, but that might be a point to that. It could be a reason for that. Let exactly. that show up in play. And then maybe you should actually try it before you, dis- you just disregard it and Absolutely. write it wrong.
0: Because uh, the games that you produce are so professionally produced and there's extensive game testing I presume. Yeah. So many rules are there for balance, yeah. I presume. Yeah. So even if you don't understand the rule it's there for balance and if you change that that may disrupt the balance <coughs> of the game.
1: Yeah, I mean that can definitely be the case. Uh, so I think that's you know, a piece of advice at least to Try it out first, then if you still feel, I want to, you know, I want to change this rule, of course go ahead and do so if it fits your group better.
0: The few house rules that we have been uh, using in Sweden Rolls when we've been playing were actually mistakes from the beginning. And then ah. I was like, <laughs> for instance, I haven't pushed any rolls for the NPCs. Yeah, okay. Not yeah. once. Yeah. Uh, and that know, was just me, yeah. after a while, realizing well, I need to look this up, <laughs> wait a bit. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, I'm supposed to push rolls to get more willpower points for my NPCs. Okay, Yeah. well, I haven't done that now, so I'm not going to start doing no. it. And, and it's, also, yeah. it's also because all of the players in Sweden Rolls, they're complete noobs to yeah. RPGs. Yeah. They're, they're, they're actors, they're yeah. not uh, gamers. Yeah. So not one of them had... I'm sure one of them has maybe played once or twice mm-hmm. in the 80s or 90s or something, but more or less none of them have ever played RPGs. So it was, a. when I realized my mistake, I was like, well, I'll use this as a way to to even up their yeah. inexperience.
1: And I think that's a perfectly valid way of doing it. I think, I mean, usually I don't push roles for NPCs all the time either, only here and there when you want to, mm. you know, and that can be a useful tool to, to balance things up a little bit. If your your players are having an easy time, you can push a bit more, yeah. and if they're having a hard time, you can just hold off on, on pushing rolls for of NPCs course. a bit. So it's I think I, at least that's the way I often use it. Yeah,
0: so. that sounds good. Um, so a little a little question about the dice. They're yeah. ex- they look extremely good. Nice, thank they're, you. Yeah, they're very well. nice dice. We really loved them, and uh, having different colors for different for the attributes, for the skills, for the gear, that's that's that really helped as well for the for the beginner players that yeah. I, that I GM'd. Uh, but I was wondering. There's only four white dice in the dice box, and yeah. you, uh, many players choose to have at least five in an attribute from yeah. the start, which means you have to re-roll the dice, and yes, yeah, it's, the... it's,
1: it's a problem. We wrestled with this issue quite a bit. Uh, the problem is that the dice set has twelve dice in total, uh, including the the poly dice for the, the artifact dice, and it's hard to the dice set. Most die sets have only like between five or ten dice or something like that. Uh, so it's it's hard to produce die sets with like 15 dice or more. It just gets very, you know, very very expensive and complicated and it would probably be a very expensive die set. So basically what we ended up doing to keep the number of dice down to a manageable amount, which is 12, we had to, you know, just the draw, best. The line somewhere. draw the line somewhere and get the best so now we have four base dice three scale dice and two gear dice which of course it will not cover every situation but it will probably cover at least most situations and of course if you want to cover every situation then you probably need a second set but but you can't the idea is that you should one set should at least get you um, should at least be enough to manage you know most most situations but but definitely, definitely not all. Not so yeah, it's a problem and that this is not the perfect solution. It's the best solution we could find under the circumstances. Yeah. And in, in
0: my opinion, each player should have a set of his or her own, which means you can just borrow a white oh, yeah, yeah, from, uh, from uh, that, the neighboring player or sure. something. No problem. So um, what's up next for Forbidden Lands? What's the, what's what's upcoming? Uh, of course, you're in the middle of shipping to backers, yeah. the... Uh, the game uh, because when we record this the game hasn't been released in stores and it hasn't even been shipped to backers who've mm-hmm. been kind enough to to lend us some 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 stuff so we can yeah. play it and uh, so I'm, I'm guessing it will take a while for for um, more supplement books to come out um, but what what will be in the end in yeah. a year two years what will happen with forbidden lands what's up
1: yeah i mean of course, we already have the two supplements just not counting GM screens and stuff, but two books uh, that will be released alongside the game, of course. That's the Raven's Purge campaign book uh, by Eric, who, which is a big 200-page book with a lot of adventure sites and a whole meta plot and backstory and a campaign finale and everything, so that's like a big book. And then a smaller book, the Spyro Quetzal, which is the collection of adventure sites written by guest writers. Um, that were uh, stretch goals in the campaign. So, but yeah, we, uh, so so that's another book. It's, that's a bit of a thinner book, but still like 70 pages or something, I think. So those are being released at the same time as the base game, uh, at least to backers. We will see how how they, when they will release in stores. But so that, that's the, have some, there is quite a lot of stuff there that already from the start uh, to play. But then we're planning more uh, like campaign expansions and they will be similar in size to raven's perch around that kind of size and they will also come with another map so basically we'll expand the game with a new map of the same size as the base game okay so basically one in each uh direction so there'll be oh, one to the north one to the west one to the east and one to the south and then we'll see We oh, can cool. just keep building uh okay. so basically we'll ex- and the map would be as big as the one in the core game so it would be a whole new map to oh. explore basically in okay. each so we're the first two that we're uh, planning uh, are, are the one to the north it will be have a more arctic feel to it mm-hmm. so that that elves and dwarves uh, there yeah, yeah yeah, yeah then, there'll then, be both of those uh, I won't say that much more because I don't want to spoil. Oh, it sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but sure, yeah. well, there is some there some mention
0: in the in the main book yes. that yes. they yes. are mainly in the north. Yeah, I think yeah. so. so <laughs> even in the player's handbook.
1: Yes, I think so. That's yeah. fine. So there'll be uh, that. Uh, that's one one thing that we're working, working on, and then uh, also to the west, where it's also mentioned in the core game. There is the that the land uh, of the Asleen country. the Asleen country. Yeah, that has that is called the, uh, I think the Ashen Vale of Ashes, Ashen Vale. I don't. Yeah, uh, just is the English name. Uh, so that's uh, the 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 lands to the east, on the other side of, of the mountain path, West, sorry. Yes, uh, which was uh, devastated by by demons. So it's a bit of a sort of a wasteland, demonic wasteland kind of a place. So. Those are the first two, and then to the east, of course, there is the ocean. So we'll have we're planning a seafaring style expansion with an archipelago with islands and you know ships and stuff to the east, and then to the south, of course, it's the older land. It's the country where the humans came from before they went entered the forbidden lands. So. Uh, that expansion which is probably going to be the fourth one uh, will sort of go hmm. to explore where that country or that land where the humans came from and what's going on there so uh, that's interesting so, so yeah. Each, uh, each, yeah so each expansion will have its own kind of feel the arctic thing the demonic wasteland the, the, old, the seafaring style and then the, the the old land, the old lands with sort of a bit more civilized area and yeah. in the south so that's the idea, and then after that, you know, anything, anything can and happen. Pick it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how so did, how was
0: uh, Eric? How did uh, did he approach you, or did you approach him when for you, this game? For this game, uh,
1: no. I mean, we approached him because we knew that there's a difference between post-apocalypse and fantasy. I mean, we did want to have. I mean, Mutant Year Zero was a strong reference for this, but the difference is that we felt for a fantasy game. In Newton Year Zero, the world is basically, you know, erased. You start from zero, you start from from nothing and build a new a new land. And the history of the world, I mean, it's just our history. So yeah. it's already, yeah. everyone knows the history of the world after the apocalypse. It's just our world. Of course. Or a fantasy game doesn't quite work, you need, you need some lore, you need setting, you need to create. And when we had, I wrote the first draft, like one piece of paper, one, you know, A4 normal, you know, one document... Like this, and we had the idea of this 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 land that was, you know, forbidden and sealed off, and that's where you would be playing, and 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 uh, there had been some, you know, that sorcerer who had taken been sent there to conquer it, but then you know went mad and, and you know took mm. it for himself, and then the king in the south just declared this uh, you know lost lost course and, and sealed it off and forgot about it, and then playing in that land. I mean, that was pretty much what what we had. And then we contacted, and we felt that we need to flesh this out a lot. Yeah. And I think that's one we we need a good, really good setting writer. And having worked with Eric before, it was like a fairly obvious choice to ask him to do it. And uh, of course, it was a challenge for him, I guess, because it's uh, hopefully a good you know a good challenge. But, but to have that because it, it, we knew we wanted to fit in with uh, using Nils Gullikson's old art. So Eric had to sort of work within these sort of constraints of, of mm-hmm. things needed to look pretty much the yeah. way they used to. But we didn't want them to be the same under the surface. So yeah. we had to really work with those two things. And also by the constraints of what we had set up. Yeah, your this, synopsis of the game. the yeah. Like this closed off area and, and the modular way to write adventure sites that we, cannot, we didn't want to... Uh, uh, determine exactly where everything was located on the map. We wanted to mm-hmm. leave that to players and groups themselves to sort of mm-hmm. figure out and decide depending on where. So, so it's uh, so there was a, a lot of back and forth about how to actually do this, um, but I think it turned out really well, and it's uh, and he did a you know a great great job on on just trying you know melding these things. Uh, together, I should also mention yeah, really. that uh, yeah, Nils Gulikson also did new art. It's not not only. Yes, of course. Art. Yeah, if so you look closely a, on the
0: illustrations, you see yeah. if there's some eighty-five or if there's some yeah, eighteen exactly. on would, the illustration.
1: Yeah. And of course, we also have some art by a guy called Niklas Brandt who's also a very good guy, artist. He he does a style that is similar to old, uh, you know, the old Nils, Nils- Gulikson art. So it works really well together. It definitely does.
0: Um, I I. Been looking through the book, and I'm I'm like, wait, is this Nils yeah. class? I'm <laughs> yeah. not too sure. I have yeah. to look for the yeah. for the uh, name tag. So he
1: really sort of went all in to sort of emulate that <clears throat> same kind of look. So that's uh, because we needed more new art than than Nils was able to produce. Uh, yeah. So for the it, artifacts. Uh, yeah, for a lot of, of bits. Yeah, I mean, for lots of very specific art pieces we needed, like, uh, and also like. Uh, graphical elements on like the page uh the, where the page number is on the page i mean that little piece of graphic there and oh, okay so it's a lot of mm. a lot of stuff uh and the maps for each adventure sites they're yeah. all done by nicholas as well oh, okay so mm. he um he's done a lot of work sort of uh which i think uh is also worth you know really worth mentioning mm. of course and uh, in
0: Preparing to GM this game for Sweden Rolls. Uh, I don't know how many emails I've sent to both you and to Nils Kerlian at Free League <laughs> and also to Eric. Like, but this place, where is it? I need to know because I don't want to put it somewhere and then you have it somewhere else. And yeah. I don't know. You've answered me, both you three guys have answered me like, there is no fixed place for this. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I came upon um, uh, a place. I don't think the players have come in contact with it when we release it, so I'm not gonna name it, but mm-hmm. there was actually one place where I asked Eric. but this place really sounds like it is fixed in a specific place. And he said, yeah, well in my mind, I see it there. Yeah. But I was like, <laughs> okay,
1: thank you. Yeah. That's all
0: I wanted to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's it's inevitable that because we really wanted to keep the, I mean, there are some, some specified play, locations, but most we wanted to give the GM and the player group the freedom to place where they want on the map and basically the idea is because otherwise if you you sort of determine where all the interesting play locations are on the map you sort of have to make sure the players go there so you sort of have to a little bit nudge them to okay let's go over here because yeah and we didn't want we wanted to, to give the freedom to the players to go where they want and then the, our solution to this was to be able to let the GM place the interesting locations wherever mm. she wants, uh, wherever the players happen to be going. So you could sort of just drop them in around where the players are instead of having to force the players to go to a specific place. Yeah. But of course, um, I think writing these adventure sites. I think Eric, of course, I mean, he's a world builder, so he sort of wants to get this, you know, sense of the world. And of course, I think it's inevitable that in his mind that he would say, "Okay, I think you know, if you know, since it was." He, he, he didn't have to take a group of players into account. He could, I mean, so writing these things up, I think he would you know, naturally have an idea of where these yeah. things could, could be It's located.
0: easier to deviate from that if you have an idea, yeah. because you need that idea to create the world, I think. If you yeah. just play, place anything, anywhere, yeah. it's hard to get... A, um, 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 in your mind where the cultures are yeah. coming from, where the kin yeah. live and stuff like that.
1: So we actually did add a map also, which is in the game, of where the different groups and kin and the different clans of dwarves yeah. and, and And that's orbs. in the
0: GM book for you, yeah. those of you listeners <laughs> who are players only, yeah.
1: that's for GM size only. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it doesn't say exactly where each adventure site is, but it gives you an idea where these different groups mainly are, are yeah. located, so of course, you could meet an ogre anywhere, or, a, you know, you, it's not that you could meet them anywhere, but they're more common. They tend to live in this area, yeah. not so much in that area. Yeah.
0: And for the listeners who haven't read uh, Raven's Purge yet, is would you say that that is very linear or sandboxy, or is it... Uh, I mean, of course, the story has a linear feeling to it but it can be this you can still place the events yeah
1: like yeah. wherever you want to we go. try to that's really the goal of, of Raven's purchase is to give the sense and the feel of an epic campaign with a with a you know a set goal and a, you know at least an idea of, the, of how of a finish and a finale but, and and have these different factions interacting but still give retain that feeling of freedom for the players so the, 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 there are I think eight nine adventure sites in that book and they are pretty much you can place them anywhere you want just like the adventure sites in the core game so there is that still that freedom uh, so it's not I mean and you don't have to play them in a particular order either ex- except the last one because the last one is like the finale so that's yeah. and that's like the main place and that you have to play it last because when you play that it's going to be over yeah, so of course. It, there's a number of conditions that need to be met before you should introduce that place or at least until the players have any chance of getting in there yeah so uh that's how it how that works out but you don't need to play all of the other eight locations un- unless you want to you can mm. and you can also add more like either the ones from the base game or from the quetzal spire you can expand the campaign uh-huh. by adding more adventure sites or create your own or create your own exactly, exactly. so yeah. you can you can sort of make it you know Raven's Purge uh, fairly fast and game if you want to, use, want to use like four or five adventure sites and then go to the ending or you can expand it you know indefinitely and really because the core thing about Raven's Purge is that you'll be looking for these uh, artifacts and where those artifacts are and how easy they are to find, that's something the GM can sort of play around with a little bit. So you can make, if you want it to take a long time, you can do that. If you want to give this to the players more quickly, that's Mm. also possible. So it all depends on if you want, if you plan to play, uh, you know, five or six or 10 session campaign or, you know, a hundred sessions, both are possible, but depending on Mm -hmm. your, what kind of... We discussed on
0: whether or not we wanted to play Raven's Perch in Sweden Rolls. And we, of course, there's this um, since we are playing it so early even before it's even released yeah. for me as a as a gm and as a player and as a as, an, as a role player yeah. i really feel that i don't want to spoil this big main campaign for the sure. game for the listeners that's that's my main reason but there is also the reason that that since it's a podcast if we would have played raven's purge it would have we wouldn't have been finished with it until yeah. like
1: in 3 years or no, something sounds like sounds like a good if, good idea if
0: our listeners really want us to stick to forbidden lands and play that that game only <laughs> then maybe it's it's uh, it's sure. time to pick up raven's perch and then it's also been a while so the hardcore fans will have time to sure. have time to play it yeah i can also say that we actually used um, random Encounters? There are random encounters and we use some random encounters and a random village. Ah, yes. And I also use some random villages to create the home villages for the players. Ah, yeah. And some of those they turned out so so well. <laughs> I didn't have to change basically anything. Mm-hmm. I had changed this uh, half a name here and there only, but I could just go with it. It was so fun, and it, it's going to be not much of this is in the in season one, but it it will come into season two. Okay, cool. Actually, so it's I'm really looking forward to to for instance going to the the two home villages of Alira, the half elf peddler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, her neighboring village it's it's such a crazy place <laughs> that sounds great well more about that in an upcoming seasons hopefully so just some short questions in the end here before mm-hmm. we finish yeah uh, just some some a bit more getting to know you yeah uh, so what's what what would you say is your favorite RPG not developed by yourself or free League or something that you've been involved with creating
1: yeah I mean it depends on sort of if you go. Way back and look what what game has sort of had the biggest impact on my life. Uh, in in that case, I think it would be basically all versions of Mutant. I mean, Mutant, the original version from '84 was my first game, so that was like always stayed with me. And one of the main reasons that I we ended up doing, ended up doing Mutant Year Zero. And also, I would say, is yeah, Lingen's uh, version of Mutant that came out early 2000s, uh, because that's kind of what brought me back into role-playing after having been lost in the wilderness for a while there. <laughs> so both, I mean, Mutant in all its uh, incarnations, uh, except maybe Mutant Chronicles, which I don't have a strong relationship to, but uh, the other ones, I think, throughout the years have been, uh, been you know big, uh, been really important for me uh definitely um apart from that uh, I, I mean the more more recently i think huge inspirations, since games that i really you know have enjoyed uh are games like apocalypse world uh faith in different i mean the faith system in different incarnations um have been you know games that i really have enjoyed and sort of been influenced by now they're uh you know they're not so new anymore but they're still sort of in there and i think the indie games that came out like 10 years ago, I mean, when the indie the Forge movement, and that was a big thing, I think that has brought a lot of great stuff to role-playing. Uh, I mean, games, we don't make games like that ourselves that are, you know, indie all the way, but there's definitely influences from those games that I think have made a lasting impact, not just to our games, but to basically all, all of gaming and all of RPGs now have some of that indie indie stuff in them even though they're not specifically indie games anymore so I think that's uh, been important too
0: alright so do you have a preference in genre or do you are you, um, do you like everything you want a buffet <laughs> like some, yeah no, I, love, I, I, like.
1: I like them all but I think maybe actually even though this we're discussing Forbidden Lands so I think sci-fi in different incarnations is probably a bit like closer just looking at what I've been you know into Uh, I think sci-fi is I guess goes uh, specifically post-apocalyptic sci-fi is probably you know Mm. uh, like a favorite genre but fantasy for sure depends on what kind of fantasy there is some fantasy that I don't really enjoy but I like more grounded fantasy like low fantasy Mm. I don't so much enjoy the super high fantasy stuff I mean that I kind of lose my interest but fantasy with gritty fantasy uh, is is of course uh, I love that too Mm. Uh,
0: do you prefer to have music on while you roleplay?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm not, like, I have tried, and I know other people do this very well, to have basically a whole like set of Playlist like, playlists for, for different scene. situations. <laughs> I know it's a combat scene, so I'm going to put on the combat music. I think that's really cool. But for me, I've never been managed to actually do it, you know, to do DJ while GMing. It just I, I'm, too good. <laughs> so just having some ambient, nice music that kind of fits the the game and the, the theme. I think I, I like having that around. Okay. Yeah.
0: Snacks during sessions? Yes or no? Yeah,
1: some. Yeah. Can I don't like you know, you know, yeah. you know. Limited amount of snacks. snacks limited the, amount. So no, okay. like huge. It can go oh, overboard. Okay. it's not too. Know. It's the amount. It's yeah. not what type of snacks. You, no, you
0: you will allow any snack as allow, long as no. it's, it's yeah. a
1: moderate amount. A moderate amount of snacks. Yes, yeah, so it doesn't get you know the game gets lost in you know yeah. piles of you know potato. Chips because
0: p- some people really have their preferences, like no chips in
1: yeah. my yeah. in my table
0: or. No, no snacks, or you have to have snacks. Snacks yeah. is a reason you roleplay. <laughs> I
1: know. I guess I'm yeah somewhere in between those two. Do you prefer to GM or play as a PC? Uh, I enjoy both. I traditionally I've GM a lot. I'm the, one of those, you know, I guess the type that ends up GMing quite a bit. Mm. But I think it's um, I really enjoy playing as well. I know some GMs that just hate playing because it. It's just, they don't just don't mm. enjoy that they want to have that gm control and whatever you know but i kind of enjoy both and i playing as a, as a pc can really be sometimes more fun because you don't know what's going to happen and you can really i mean the way i like it i like things you know bad things to happen to my character because that's when things get interesting so even even almost the worse it gets the better it is so it's yeah. it's an interesting thing to see at what you know that kind of uh, you know putting your character out there and see where 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 he or she goes. I yeah. mean I think that's a lot of fun. So yes. I wish I could play as a player a bit more than I actually do.
0: Many GMs feel that way as yeah, well I guess because so. they they've been they become GM by default. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I actually I I actually, I think I got this question when I guested yeah. another podcast. I don't remember which. I've guested quite a few this past year, but. Yeah. But I got the question and I said, I, I, I'm not sure. If, like, gun to my head, if yeah. I could only pick one, I would yeah. pick to GM. Yeah. But I really prefer to, to switch. Yeah, me back too. And
1: forth. Yeah, I think I would answer exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, hmm. absolutely.
0: Well, that's the end of the list, actually. So I want to thank you very much for letting me borrow some of your precious time. Sure. I know you're, you're uh, like, really uh, pre- preparing for a move. Yes, your office yes, yes. as well as uh, finishing a Kickstarter from Things from the Flood yes, as well as the Merge yeah. and pushing out uh, sending out the boxes for, Absolutely. for Kickstarters for this game Forbidden Land. so yeah. I, I, we really appreciate you taking the time thank you and thank you for listening <laughs>